investing in property makes sense. Investing in the right property takes knowledge. Welcome to the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. I'm Jared McCabe, Director of Wakeland Property Advisory. Join me for expert insights into the fundamentals, trends and opportunities to help you create long-term wealth through smart property decisions. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 27 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. So we're into uh, part three now of our three-part series on the investment grade apartment market. Previous two topics have been around the state of the market and undercapitalizing versus overcapitalizing. And as we said, that one sort of leads into our third topic, which is how and where to add value to your apartment and the benefits of obviously doing so. Now, I'm joined again by Jordan Telford. Jordan, welcome back. Hi, Jared. So what I thought we'd start today is by looking at um, overall apartment market presentation, works that can be done, how we can add value to them. So if we start on the outside and look at things from an external perspective first, do you want to run us through some of the um, the things that can be done on an external side of things? Because obviously you don't, unlike a house, have complete control over that. You're working with others. Um, it's why you've been possibly able to get into that market in the first instance, because it's a more affordable sector. But obviously part of that is then needing to work with others to make sure that um, you all benefit from uh, from the presentation of a um, of an apartment block. Yeah, sure. Well, having established with our last podcast, Jared, the um, importance not to have an undercapitalized property. Well, that then leads into this discussion as to well, how do I bring it up to a standard where it's not undercapitalized? It's in perfect balance. Well, I, I with apartments, I always divide it up into the externals, which there is a certain semblance of control but not as much as internal. And also, once you step through the front door of your apartment, what can you control there and what should be done? So if we look at externally. Um, but this sort of, oh, sorry, cut across you, but this goes to, um, again, the point that you raised in the last podcast around the external um, is is something that you can really differentiate yourself with from the, uh, the more modern, larger development and the benefit of being in the more boutique, small development. Yeah, yeah that's external it. side of things. Absolutely. And central to that with, with a lot of the older apartments is the, the advantage they have of having been built with a little bit of garden surrounds mm. rather than just being concrete and steel yep. um, and a bit unapproachable in a way. So, But too often um, these garden surrounds have been let go. Yeah. Um, and it's not hard to have them let go, particularly in over summertime, over drought periods, um, et cetera. But that's that's an important first impression, not only for renters, yep. and therefore your marketability to renters, but also with an eye to selling the property. Um, first impressions count with, with a lot of things. Um, so consider the garden surrounds, the lawns, garden beds maintained, are the trees pruned? Yep. Does it just have a nice inviting feel when you yep. walk through the front gate? Um, does... Does the block look cared for? Window frames, balconies, um, you know, are the timber window frames starting to be tatty and are they needing – that could be a red flag to mm. a potential buyer. Oh, okay. They're going to have to be replaced at some point so that can reduce the marketability of it. But you don't have to replace the window frames every 10, 15 years and if they're actually maintained, um, you know, painted and, and cared for, well, It'll be possibly a one-off expense, won't it? One-off or, expense or you may not even cop it because yeah. someone else has done it previously. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, security doors, do they work? Too often you walk through, people can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. Um, but that can be a big, particularly for ground floor apartments, that can be a big issue for um, for renters. Um, security lighting, the internal stairwell walls, for instance, as people walk through the front door, 
what are they greeted with? Yeah. Is it scuffed? Is it dirty? Um, are there carpets on the stairs? Are they frayed? Are they stained? It's not a great first impression. Mm. You can do all you want on the internals, but if that first impression isn't right, that brings the block down and people can turn on their toes and just walk away. Um, so those are the things that are important to maintain. There was a good example of, of all the things you've just mentioned there, one that we talk about quite regularly of the uh, refurbishment, particularly externally, of a um, of a block in uh, George Street in East Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. and they've done so well. They had a magnificent job. And it was, it was all of the things that you've just said then is where it lacked yeah. before this was done. Um, and they, it was a, a brick block, but it was a painted brick block um, and it hadn't been painted for a long time. So it had a, a, a painting done externally, but then the, the entrance, it's a U-shaped block, this one. So the entrance was, was fairly tatty with gardens and things. They stripped that garden back. They stripped back the paving and they put a nice new um, entrance in there. They put these great gardens down either side. They put new windows in the, the three entry foyers that are there looks like a totally different block. It does, and importantly, it's been maintained. Yeah. They spent a lot of money, the owner's corporation, they should be congratulated for it. It yep. took them a long time, but um, they've, act, they've been sensible in not just letting it, letting it be. Um, they've maintained it, and it's, it's a totally different block. Yeah. Um, and that's been reflected in not only the rental demand in that block, but also the sales that we've seen yes. over the last few years since then. Yep. Um, th- it's a measurable difference. I remember buying an apartment in that block um, just before... It had been done. Um, we bought a, an investment property in that block for a client, and the apartment itself hadn't been renovated. It was very basic, a one bedroom, um, but the works had been paid for. The ex, the uh, the garden and everything that was to be done had been paid for by the previous owner. So, the client we purchased it for got all yeah, the benefits. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, so, externals, as I said, you've got a certain level of control there, but understandably, you're not the mercy of, but it's the, these are owners' corporation expenses. Mm. Um, so, but that know, sort of goes to the next level too in terms of adding value around being involved. Oh, absolutely. Um, now, no one says you've got to be on the committee. Um, mm. If you would like to be and you've got the appetite for it, it's a good thing to do. But at an absolute minimum, you need to attend your owners' court meetings. Yeah, it's once a, a year. One meeting a year yeah. for what an hour or two. Yeah. Um, but it, it can change the, the total nature of your property. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it, it might be unrealistic for some people, particularly if they're sitting overseas or they're yeah. in regional Victoria, for instance, or interstate. That might be very, very difficult. Um, but what you do is you appoint a proxy. Yeah. So if that's somebody local who can make some decisions on your behalf at the meeting or um, maintain a relationship with the owner's court manager, um, speak to them prior to, um, lay out what you would like done to the block and have it... Um, and agenda, have, it, have them as agenda items. And you can appoint the owner's court manager as your proxy yep. with a clear understanding as to what you would like to see done to the block. Um, the interesting thing about it too is that, and I've been to a number of these myself, where a, certain, a quorum has to be, has to be um, established at an owner's court meeting in order to pass decisions. More often than not, what I'm finding is that quorums aren't established, only one party turns up or two or three even in a block of 12 to 16 so if quorum isn't um, established the one or two members that do turn up can have an awful lot of influence and power over the decisions of the owners corporation yeah so anything that is decided upon the evening of the meeting um, become interim decisions 
unless they're challenged by, uh, I think it's 25% of the entitlement holders. And that's, within, they've got, what period, they've got about 28 20, days? 29 days. 29 from days. From the day of the meeting. Yeah. So uh, my view has always been if people can't be bothered turning up or, or appointing a proxy, they're probably not going to object to the decisions made on the night. Yeah. They're probably thankful that somebody is actually taking the time to do that on their behalf. But um, it gives you a lot of control. A lot of control. Mm. And that's the criticism of owners' corporations in that people don't feel that they're in control, mm. um, unlike, say, with a house, yep. because they have to deal with other people. And that is, in a lot of cases, um, true. But if you are motivated, you can make some significant changes to the direction of your owners' corporation um, and, in effect, spending everybody else's money, really. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So yeah. I guess the next part of that is then how do you fund that sort of thing? Because not everyone's in the same position. And that's, I guess, one of the things with an owner's corporation is you'll have some people that are ready to spend 10 grand in one hit and you'll have others that'll say, no, look, I can't do that. Yeah, it's being proactive. Yeah. It's And having a good owner's court manager and, and working closely with your owner's court manager. So that's make it, looking two to five years ahead yep. and saying, what are the likely expenses here? Yep. And if you do things periodically, mm. then you're not going to get those big 10, 15, $20,000 in, in a lot of cases. Now, there are some things that are unavoidable. Yeah. So sometimes window frames, if they're 50 years old, they just need replacing. Yeah. And that's significant. The roofs, they need replacing once every 50 years as well. But so do houses. True. Yeah, true. So people get caught up in, oh, I have to do... But uh, I guarantee you, if, you've, if you own a house versus owning an apartment, the expenses, which are solely yours rather than being split with others, are going to be far greater. Mm. Yeah, for um, sure. And people sometimes do lose, tra lose track of that, that a house would will cost you a lot more to maintain because yeah. you've got to do the lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's two options really, and that's be proactive, um, get ahead of any upcoming expenses and strike a maintenance levy. Yep. Um, and just contribute year by year. Yeah. So in, and that that's that's a, an easy way of doing it. Yeah. But it's usually working towards something too, isn't it? Sometimes you find that um, some of these smaller blocks can have these – quite significant maintenance funds that they're charging on, a, on an annual basis, but there's not really anything that they're working towards. And yeah. so you can then find that you're contributing this money and then you may not actually see the benefit of it because it may be spent after you've sold your property. Exactly. So yeah. that's worthwhile in the larger developments where you've got to maintain a lift that, that's going to break down every so often and has to have money spent and you can't have uh, trying to strike a special levy with 200 occupants. Um, but with a small boutique block, if you if you're contributing to an annual levy, it needs to be working towards something. It absolutely has to. And that's the idea of the levy because mm. you can contribute over a period of five years, many thousands of dollars. If you come to sell the property before those works are commissioned, you can't extract those monies out. Yep. Uh, that, that's there for the benefit of the next party. Yep. So that, a levy should be struck with the idea of a particular project yep. in mind. Um, the alternative, as I've seen over the last few years too, is there's, uh, I think Macquarie Bank um, offer a product where they, in effect, um, issue a loan to the owner's corporation. Okay. And that's an alternative, particularly yeah. when there's big ticket items. So um, that's something to explore as well, um, which that, that wasn't a product offered, you know, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, great. So there's a couple of alternatives there. All right, so let's have a look then uh, if we move inside the apartment, um, which is where we've uh, got absolute control with an apartment as an apartment owner. Um, what are some of the things that are almost must-haves um, from an apartment perspective and, and what are the, the ways that we can we can add value but not, as we spoke about last time, overcapitalise. Yeah, that's it. Um, again, understanding the mar the expectations of tenants and buyers in your particular market, the, the market with which your apartment resides in. Um, 
and they can be different too. So what a, a renter might expect um, versus what an owner might expect can be two different things. Yeah. So you need to have a bit of a plan, I guess, as to what you're going to do yourself. So are you doing these works with the expectation of holding the property for another five to 10, 15 years? Or are you doing these works in order to sell the property within yeah. a year or two? And if that's the case, you'd, you probably wouldn't go as far. Mm. Um, you'd be far more judicious about the um, areas where you spend your money and yeah. how much you spend it. Yeah. If you're going to hold it for the very much long term, 10 to 15 years, well, you can afford to do it at a higher standard. Yeah, so that it won't, won't need to be replaced again anytime no, soon. No, yeah. and it will still hold up and look and look good yeah. when the time comes to sell, if that's in a 15-year time um, frame, for instance. So I'd be looking at, um, and again, um, just touching on our last podcast there, the expectations um, have certainly increased in terms of the level and standard of expected um, uh, comfort levels. Um, so certain things have been forced upon owners of apartments mm -hmm. now, um, rental providers, to use the new term. Yes. Heating is a must. As of March last year, some significant changes to the Residential Tenancies Act. Um, living rooms have to have heating. Well, instead of putting heaters in, you just do it properly. You put a split system in. Yeah, They've yep. actually come down in price. They have. The only thing you've got to be mindful of there, again, with your owner's corporation, is where do you put the inverter? Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's, there can be difficulties around that. So um, that's, again, something to look at as to where are the options. And, and it's something that owner's corporations need to be mindful of themselves yeah. these days because they can have been um, a little belligerent in past in terms of no, 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 but it's because it's a requirement of the Act now, um, from a heating perspective, they may try and avoid it, but it's it's an expectation that, that a lot of uh, renters have. Yeah, you need to be able to offer that to the owners of the building. Yeah. Um, if the time's coming to do a renovation to the bathroom, well, have a look and see if there aren't any internal laundry facilities. Um, and those, they're more and more the minority now, but typically with older style 30s and 40s where it was a communal laundry, bringing laundry facilities in is is a really good way to add yep. some value to it. Yep. So that if you've if the bathroom is such that where you've got a bathroom, uh, sorry, a bath and a shower, well, look at reconfiguring it so you can um, jettison the bath yeah. and that can be the spot where the laundry facilities go. Yep. And more often than not, in a one or two bedroom apartment, a bath is a nice to have, but it's not a must have. Yeah. Or you don't. If you do really want the bath yourself, if you if you're an owner occupier, shower over a bath, mm. um, and then you've still got yeah. where the shower was to put the um, the washing machine and, and washing machine facility. So and if yeah. the kitchen's of a reasonable enough size, um, you can put a washing machine in the kitchen. The old That's the old English approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the the usual suspects: um, coat of paint, new carpet, slash floating floor, whatever suits. Um, I've seen a couple of balconies as well that um, have got a really nice touch to it where there's a raised timber decking um, rather than just the concrete, the tatty concrete, painted concrete. Yeah. Well, the raised timber decking. Um, just gives a nice, a nice finish. Nice finish, mm. yeah. With, um, so that's that um, that can really stand out. It doesn't cost an awful lot of money. If time comes to do a significant renovation to the kitchen, well, new bench tops, plenty of cupboard space. Um, and increasingly, what I'm advising clients is to, in a way, future-proof your kitchen by putting a dishwasher in. Yeah. Sounds crazy, even in a one-bedroom apartment, but the expectations have risen to such a level where that is becoming an expectation of, of tenants, that there is a dishwasher. Yeah. Again, not that long ago, well, who needs it in a one-bedroom apartment? But it's not, it's not a great expense either. It's not like you, you'd be concerned about it. Um, and it may not be that you get an extra $10 a week by having it, but it may mean that you get an extra applicant on a, on a um, yeah. tenancy application. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
So the benefits of all of that, external, internal works as well, an immediate uplift in rent. Yep. Um, and shorter time on the market. So it obviously reduces your potential vacancy period by having that that um, that quality fit out. Yeah, mm. and like attracts like. If yeah. you present a property to a prospective tenant, for instance, in good, clean, modern condition, chances are they'll appreciate that and they'll look after it and will probably become more medium to long-term tenants rather than somebody that's jumping from one to another just seeking out yep. um, you know, a, a cut-price rental. Yeah, and um, which which adds to the costs, vacancy costs, releasing costs. So, have you got a um, a quick example of uh, of some of, of something that we've uh, worked with a, uh, a client on in recent times? Yeah, one in South Yarra last year, actually, a, a big one bedroom apartment. It's a lovely one. Um, the, the before it was in, a, in fairly original condition, and the time had come, the a uh, client had um, had established the the need to or they want to retain the property yep. for a period of time. So we thought, right, let's do it and let's do it properly. Do it once and once only. Um, market rent in its current condition was already around about 350 a week based on others within this particular block in original condition. After a renovation that cost just shy of $33,000, mm-hmm. um, it leased for $410 a week, um, a couple of months. Um, it probably The whole process was maybe about a three-month Yep. Downtime. Yep. So that extra $60 a week, when you look at what was actually invested mm. by way of the total expense, um, it's a significant return on that investment. Yeah. You know, sort of in the order of nine, nine and a half percent. So um, it's worth doing. And then you've got the ancillary benefits, as we've discussed, about the, uh, the, the improved marketability of the property. The up, obviously, the uplift in capital value, which will benefit this client mm. when the time comes in 10 years' time to sell the property. It was done to a nice standard and it it'll will only hold re- its own. It'll only require maintenance from here yeah. on in. It's not going Car- to need oh, anything paint, significant. Yeah. yeah, Maybe carpet paint, yeah. So um, it makes sense in terms to invest that money if you can oh, – and again, uh, not everybody can put their hands on thirty to $40,000. No. Um, so there are issues there, but um, perhaps a refinance to incorporate – that that expense can be done. There's there's potentially ways. There's ways to do it, to look yeah. at it. Yeah. yeah. And in terms of the capital value, do you have any rough ideas as to what it was what it was worth pre and post? I mean, it was probably. Um, I know that that block and that apartment and unrenovated. It was probably in the high fives. Um, maybe in the maybe tipped over six. Yeah. Um, but you'd have to think it would be at least mid to high sixes on a renovated product. Yeah. It should. What has been spent should have added yeah. at least that amount in capital value, yep. probably a bit more, yep. if, if only for the improved marketability yep. of that to bring buyers to the front door. Because it is a big – I mean, we talk about one-bedroom apartments, but this is a – it is a big apartment yeah. and yeah. it's got a very, very good outlook as does. well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, okay, yeah. great. So I think that the the alternative to this approach is, well, as a lot of people take, and that's that's quite clear-eyed, they say, well, I you know, understand the benefits to it, but – I'm doing nothing. Yeah. Okay. And I'm prepared to cop the the reduced rent, the longer period of time on the market for whatever reason. Yep. Um, so that's a strategy. Is a do nothing approach. Yep. And, and okay, I, I, that's understandable in some cases. The problem with that though is that you run a danger of reaching a point where where when you're bringing the property to the rental market, if a property isn't leasing within two to three weeks, maybe four weeks at the maximum, there's something not quite right. Yeah. So the knee-jerk reaction is to, well, we reduce the rent mm-hmm. and we keep reducing until we hit the sweet spot yep. and then bang, it goes. The problem is you can reach a point where you actually undershoot your local market. Yeah. So 
say, for instance, um, suburb like Hawthorne or Kew, there's a rump of prospective tenants mm -hmm. that have, say, $400 yep. to spend, four, four twenty, $450, um, and they can spend that and they can spend it comfortably, but the expectation is a certain level and standard of accommodation. Fit out, yep. you can You can offer that market an entirely original apartment um, at 360 or 370 and they may not be interested. Yep. So you drop it to 350, you drop it to 340 and that isn't offering the incentive for people to jump in. Because there's no one who's looking for that apartment at 350 a week got in a that greater, location. Exactly. They've got a greater capacity, yep. a comfortable capacity to spend and they're happy to spend that on the right accommodation. So that's where that, uh, that old approach of just reducing, reducing, yes, it can – You'll get to a point where you will find someone but it, you could have a, a, a far longer period of vacancy than you really should have. Yeah, exactly. So it's understanding your market. Yep what the expectations are and what their propensity and capacity to spend is yep. if we're looking at the rental market. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, really good overviews too and, and some really good case studies there to, um, to sort of paint a picture uh, as to why spending the money is beneficial. And as always, we are very mindful that not everyone's in a position to be able to do it. And so it's, it is a case of making sure that if you don't have the capacity to, to spend that money in one hit, that you do do it on a semi-regular basis. The ideal is to really, after every time a renter moves out, whether that's after they've only stayed for one 12-month tenancy or they've been there for 10 years, you need to sit back and look at the property and say, what do I need to do? I don't have to renovate the kitchen and bathroom every time, but it might be this time I need to replace the carpet. The next time I'll give it a coat of paint. The next time I need to put in a new sink um, or do something slightly different and it may be a new vanity unit in the bathroom or add split system air conditioner. But if you do something bit by bit every time and if, if it's only after 12 months, it's probably going to be minor. But if you've had a, a renter that's been in the property for 10 years, then yes, you've, you've had the benefit of no vacancy period, um, secure income coming in, but now it's time to spend some money um, because that, that renter is, has moved on and what they were prepared to live with the market now perhaps isn't. And so therefore you've got to bring it up to that standard. Um, and that's not just from a rental point of view, that's um, maintaining that, that capital value and adding value to the property um, from a capital value point of view, but also from a, a rental income point of view. Yeah, help the property um, drive its growth. Help me help you. Mm. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us for episode 27 of the Rewarding Property Decisions podcast. A special thanks to Jordan for uh, joining me for the last three-part um, series, and we'll certainly have him back for different uh, topics along the way. As always, please share the podcast with friends, family, and colleagues, uh, and anyone who may have an interest in property. And if you'd like further information on how to make rewarding property decisions, please visit our website, wakeland.com.au, and we wish you all the best with your property decisions. Thank you.